0: If you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn to the book of Ruth. So for the next two weeks, I'd like to focus on a sermon series called Hope in Hopelessness. And we'll be looking at two specific books in the Bible. One of them I just told you called Ruth. I wonder if you could guess uh, which would be the second book we're going to look at. Job, good try. Esther, yes, that's right. Oh, it's the bulletin. (laughs) Good one, Richard. That shows you do read the bulletin, so extra brownie points for you. This is Rue. For next week, we're going to talk about Esther. So these are stories of two women who lived in different time periods. Ruth's story is set during the time of Judges, and we know that it was a period of the Dark Ages for the Israelites, because everyone did as they saw fit. And Esther's story is set after the exile period. She stays in Persia, where life seemed to be as good as it can get. But then one man, one evil man, makes life a living hell. Now you might already know that women in the ancient times were the least likely of heroes. They were socially inferior, they were poor, and they were also very vulnerable people. The Bible tells us stories of women who had to struggle to survive in a world that was unkind to them. And two women's stories have their own individual books in the Bible. They're read out aloud in church, they're studied, and they're remembered for what they've done. And like many stories in the Bible, Ruth and Esther can be studied in different angles. And so in the next two weeks, I'll like to look at these women's stories through a perspective of finding hope in a hopeless situation. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together to worship you, to share stories, to share life together. And God, I thank you for the stories of Ruth and Esther and that we can come together and look at um, what great truths you want us to learn. And God, I pray that you'll be speaking into our hearts tonight. I pray your spirit will be stirring something in us. Help us to see you clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ruth's story begins with the tragedy. And if you look into your Bibles, you'll see that in chapter one, the author introduces us to a Jewish family. There's Naomi, her husband, and her two sons who lived in Bethlehem. Now, a famine came and the family decided to move to a country called Moab, which is about 80 kilometers southeast of Bethlehem. The famine's not the tragedy here. Losing your family and source of hope is. In three verses, the author tells us Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with the two sons. They married Moabite women one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Killian also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. The famine's not the tragedy. Losing your family and the source of your hope is. For a woman in those days, a husband and sons are your source of hope. They can look after you, protect you, and provide security and comfort. For someone like you today, it could be something else. It could be your husband. It could be your children. It could be your career. Or it could be a healthy body. Naomi's words at the end of chapter one sums up the pain we often feel when tragedy strikes. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. When our hope is taken away, our faith and beliefs are really tested. In times of trials and suffering, we ask ourselves, in who or what do we build our hope on? Now, this is when Ruth's story comes in. Naomi doesn't know it yet, but Ruth becomes the hope in her hopelessness. Naomi's life is tragic and unbearable. And I think a lot of us can relate to that feeling of loss. But don't forget, Oprah and Ruth are also in the same boat. They are women who have also lost their husband and they don't have any sons. No husband and no son. No source of income, no security, no protection, and definitely no hope. The only tiny smidgen of hope left is the possibility of getting married again. If they go back home to their mothers, there is a chance for hope. Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem to live out the rest of her days bitter and sad. But before she leaves, she gives Oprah and Ruth her blessing to stay behind and find hope again. She says to them, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husband and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Orpah chose to stay and try her luck at finding another husband. But Ruth does something that wouldn't make sense to a person without faith. Ruth chooses to follow Naomi, and she chooses to adopt the faith of her people. I could imagine how when Ruth was married to Naomi's son, she would have heard stories about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She would have heard stories about promises made to them, and stories about how God rescued them from Egypt, about the plagues, Passover, parting the Red Sea, She would have heard stories of God doing the impossible. And she's willing to bet her hope on him. And so Ruth says to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. In the most hopeless situation, Ruth chooses to trust in God. And whilst Naomi doesn't realise it yet, God not only hasn't abandoned her, but he's already sent Ruth to look after her for her physical, emotional and spiritual needs. Now, I don't know if you guys know, but Ruth's name actually has a meaning. I wonder if anyone has heard of it before, besides people this morning. Ruth's name means companion. And this is exactly who Ruth is, a companion to Naomi, a companion to those in need. So will you be a Ruth to a Naomi who needs your help? Will you find out, help out? Naomi said, God is out to get me. But Ruth took her hand and said, come, let's go together. Your God will be my God. Now, firstly, we see that God doesn't abandon us. Sometimes he sends someone to look after us. The Bible also tells us that God is in control. What Ruth didn't realize was that when Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, the barley harvest was just beginning. And this is why in chapter 2, we read about Ruth going out to pick leftover grain from the fields. Jewish culture is really interesting. There's a law in the Bible which helps the poor and vulnerable people who can't earn a living for themselves. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, it talks about how if you own a field during harvest time, you can't reap to the very edges of your field. In other words, you can't take everything that you supposedly own. God set this law up so that those who are poor and vulnerable will be looked after. This law was set up so people like Naomi and Ruth, who are widowed and have no other way to survive, can be looked after. So Ruth goes out to pick leftover grain, and coincidentally, of all the fields she could have gone to, she ends up going to Boaz's field. So you might be thinking to yourself, what's this got to do with the story? Who is Boaz? Why is he important? Well, it turns out that Boaz is related to Naomi's dead husband. In Jewish culture, if you don't have a male heir, you have no legal right to the land. Naomi and Ruth were staying in Naomi's husband's place but it's not legally theirs because they are females. So it must be claimed by a male member from Elimelech's line which means they didn't have any security for their home. Here we have two women, one's old and the other a foreigner. They don't have any steady income to support themselves and there's a chance that they could end up homeless. But God's in control And he knows that Boaz is the man who would be the guardian redeemer. Ruth can marry Boaz and their first son will take Elimelech's name to continue the family line. The son then could legally claim the land that belongs to the family. Ruth will be protected by Boaz and Naomi will be able to stay in her husband's home. This is what a guardian redeemer does. And so all they need now is for Boaz to propose to Ruth, get married, have children, and things will finally fall into place. Ruth goes back to Boaz's field every day to glean, but Boaz, for some reason, doesn't make a move. Now, when you take the time to look at the story, you'll see that Boaz is a true gentleman. And from the way Boaz treated Ruth, there's a hint that he has an interest in her. But for some reason, he doesn't say anything. And two months go by and the barley harvesting is about to be over, which means Ruth won't be gleaning at Boaz's after this, which means Ruth and Naomi may miss their chance to have a guardian redeemer save them. So when we get to Ruth chapter 3, we notice a change in the characters. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So the role of the characters changes here. It's like Naomi has finally come out of mourning and she's here to care for Ruth. When Naomi lost her sons, Ruth was the one who held her hand and supported her in the darkest, most depressing moments. And now Naomi takes Ruth's hands and teaches her how to propose to Boaz. Now on the surface, this story sounds like a classic rom-com where girl meets boy, girl waits for the boy to make a move. But the boy doesn't make a move, so the girl sneaks into the boy's threshing floor at night, waits till he's asleep, lies at his feet and uncovers them to expose his feet to the cold so that he'll wake up later in the night and find the girl there. So that's of about the gist of the story. <laughs> Classic. But it's more than just a love story. When Boaz wakes up from his cold feet, he's surprised to see a girl at his feet. But then he realizes what Ruth is trying to do here. Ruth tells him, this is in verse 9, he's, uh, she says, Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. That sounds a bit countercultural here. But Ruth's intention here was to put family first. In her case, it was Naomi and her husband's name and land. Ruth puts her family first. And Boaz sees Ruth's faith and honors her. He honors her by doing the right thing by her. And you gotta know that the guardian redeemer thing is not something that he had to do. In Hebrew, the word for guardian, redeemer, is called goel, and goels are the next of kin who has certain family rights and duties. So for Boaz, it's his duty as a close relative, but if he didn't want to, to do it, like to marry her and have a kid with her, he could have said no. Now, don't forget also that this was during the time of judges, where everyone was worshipping idols, they were morally depraved, and... A lot of them were only looking out for themselves. So normally, someone in Boaz's situation might think to himself, hmm, well, what's in it for me? But he didn't. He wanted to help Ruth and her family, even though there's nothing much he could gain from it. Boaz goes through the right channels and marries Ruth legally. They have children, and the firstborn son takes after Elimelech's name what's in it for me? That was the world where Ruth and Naomi lived in. Now it turns out Boaz wasn't the rightful guardian redeemer. He wasn't the first. There was someone who's a closer relative to Elimelech, which meant that that guy was the one who should marry Ruth and inherit the land. So Boaz calls him out for coffee, sits him down and tells him, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So the rightful guardian redeemer says, I'll redeem it. And then Boaz tells him, just so this guy gets a full picture of what he's getting himself into, Boaz tells him, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. The Bible then says, at this, so straight away, the guardian redeemer says, then I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And when this guy thought that there could be something in it for him, he says yes. But as soon as he finds out he has to take on Ruth the Moabite, he backs out. He says it will be a financial strain on him. It won't be advantageous for him to marry her. There's nothing in it for him. And instead, he has to make a sacrifice for her. He said yes, but backflips and says no. But even though the guy said no, Boaz said no yes. Boaz chooses to help Ruth and Naomi and save the land and the name. Now this was so important for the Jews because it was a part of their culture and their faith. Boaz said yes. Jesus also said yes. He said yes to loving us even though we were still sinners. He said yes to the cross even though there was nothing in it for him. He said yes to forgiveness when we don't deserve any grace. Jesus is our guardian redeemer. He is our go well. So often we treat faith like a transaction. If God can do this for me, then I'll say yes to him. Yes to church, yes to putting more money in the offertory. But faith requires obedience. Even in the hardest trials or in your darkest days, God wants us to trust in him. The book of Ruth is not only a story about a woman, but it's a story about a foreign woman, a woman outside of God's covenant. And the Bible says, God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. When Naomi was very vocal about her suffering and bitterness at God, Ruth was the only one who had hope in him. I reckon When Naomi realized what God was doing behind the scenes, she would have fallen on her knees in repentance. In Naomi's short life here on earth, she caught a glimpse of hope in hopelessness. We, on the other hand, we've seen more than just a glimpse. We know the full picture of God's redemption and grace. We've seen Jesus and we know him. We can rest our hope on Jesus who died and rose again. We were once destined for hell, but Jesus brought us back with his blood. Jesus said yes, which is so much more exciting than a marriage proposal, right, ladies? (laughs) Our hope in Jesus is an everlasting hope that will never disappoint us. I love how Paul explains what it means to resurrect with Jesus. He says, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, But life is at work in you. The ways of this world wants to get you. Death wants to destroy us. But this world can't crush us. And death has no sting. Because we are all citizens of God's kingdom. And he promises to right every wrong and to turn all our sorrows into joy. So let's wait on him. God is at work. Will you be like Naomi, who lost hope when tragedy came? Or will you be like Ruth, who, even though she lost her husband, her security and protection in this world, she saw that she still has God, and she placed all her trust and hope in him. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that the famine wasn't the tragedy in the story. It was losing your source of hope. So let me ask you, in what does your hope rest on? Is it something that brings you temporary happiness, a career, financial security, popularity? Is it something you've worked your whole life on, like a hobby, a skill, or a calling? Is it someone you think can bring ultimate fulfillment in your life, a soulmate, your children, a friend? Ruth takes Naomi's hands and tells her, come, let's go together. Your God will be my God. Can I encourage you to take someone's hand this week and be with them in their suffering? Let them know that there is a God and he loves you so much. God cares about you. So let's go together. Let's get through this one day at a time. To finish up, I want to share a story with you about a young boy I know from my scripture class. And this young boy, he's in year eight, so he's about 13 years old. And last year, he lost his father. His dad committed suicide, and that has completely broken him. He got into drugs. He started distributing drugs. He's always acting out in the classroom. His behavior is very erratic. One moment he could be very hyperactive, jumping around. Um, One moment he could be very withdrawn. He doesn't want to talk to anyone and um, sometimes he gets very emotional. Uh, Some things could trigger him and we don't know what it is. And one time I had um, just a really hard time trying to to teach him and I was so frustrated with his behaviour so I decided to keep him in after class. And then I went up to him and I asked him, why are you doing this? And so this young boy, he looks into my eyes and he says these words that's forever ingrained in my memory. He looks at me and he says, because my life is stuffed. He actually used the F word for that. But if you, if you were there and you looked into his eyes, you would see a broken and hurting child. You could see that he feels completely hopeless and abandoned I didn't know what to do and I remember asking God I said God please help me to help him and then I remembered what Ruth did for Naomi and so whenever we have class together towards the end of the period I'll sit with him for a few minutes I sit there in silence with him to let him know that I'm still with him and that God is with him too we live in a very broken world, and we know that that's not how it ends. The gospel is a message of hope. Jesus calls us to spread that hope to the world. So I want to ask the band to come up, and if you like, and if you can, would you stand with me, and let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you, Lord, that you are with us even though this world can be so broken, and that our lives could feel so hopeless and abandoned. But Lord, we know that you would never abandon us. We know that in our darkest times, you are still with us and you're walking with us. And God, I pray that you would encourage us to look out into this world, to look around to the people around us. Lord, I pray that you would move us to be like Ruth and take someone's hand. Lord, I pray that we can be encouragement to them. I pray that we can be a companion to others. I pray, Lord, that we can be salt and light to this world. Lord, we know that right now someone next to us might be in a lot of pain. I pray, Lord, for them that they will reach out to you, to someone next to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.